Welcome to Series 2, Episode 12. In this episode, I chat to Colin Glass, OBE, Director of Murray Harcourt. We discuss everything from running to networking, people buying from people, the British Business Bank to Matt Hancock, and risk-taking to investments and share-dealing. Enjoy. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hi, and welcome to another live Q&A. Today, I've got Colin Glass, OBE, uh, Director of Murray Harcourt. How are you, Colin? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you very much, Johnny. Delighted to have you here. Um, and, um, I mean, you know, when I first got to know you, you know, it, you're, you've got an accountant background. Um, you're, you're, that's your your big your big skill. I've still got you, don't worry. Um, that's your big skill. But but you know, the more I've got to know you, um, your your expertise in business is is immense. You've got so many experiences. You were thrown into the deep end at a very young age. Is that right? Well, yes. I mean, I, I've got a very obsessive personality. So, uh, in the uh, late sixties, early seventies, uh, I was very, very interested in in the stock market, um, and always wanted to get involved in. The public company field, which eventually I managed to do, but uh, at that time, uh, obviously without any money, um, and uh, wanting to start our own business, I first of all worked for a small investment bank, and then a small public company, and then we started on our own um, with a, a good friend of mine, uh, Melvin Winburn, um, and another guy called David Norfolk, and so we formed Winburn Glass Norfolk, which was. Uh, an accountancy practice, because in those days, accountants had a bit of kudos about them, so we didn't want to call ourselves anything fancy. Uh, but um, our, uh, I suppose our USP was the high-risk approach, where we were prepared to roll up our fees, uh, which was a euphemism in a lot of cases of write them off and take small equity stakes in the businesses that we were helping and go on a journey together. If you found the right entrepreneur, which over the years, fortunately, I managed to find a few and we could build businesses together, exit them or float them on AIM. And uh, and that was the sort of basis of the career. You, you, uh, sorry, just to welcome everyone, by the way, we're live streaming on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Uh, this is also going to be a podcast as well. So you might be listening to us right now. Uh, it's great to have you all here. Um, I've noticed that we've got some comments on Facebook already. We've got quite a lot of viewers on uh, LinkedIn. If you've got questions for Colin, please do ask. Uh, Chris Rabbit has just said good morning. We've got someone on Facebook saying morning. Good to hear from you both. But if you've got uh, questions for Colin, please do ask. Um, and um, Colin, you, you said that um, accountants used to have a lot of kudos does that mean that uh that that's not the case nowadays then uh no i don't think it has nowadays um the, the world has changed and you probably read in the press especially the big four have uh, got into bother quite a few times on a regular basis um but they seem to get through all that 
whereas smaller firms, uh, their nickels get well and truly wrapped if they step out of line in any way. But now the world has changed. Um, mainly the, the media uh, have made it more accessible to um, know what accountants do and what entrepreneurs do. Um, and so, as I say, it's a, it's a, a different scene now. The ecosystem, to use that word, is different, for, especially for small companies, SMEs. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's how it works. Uh, welcome to Tim Kitchen, who's watching us. Morning, guys. He says, and Phil Fraser, he's asking a question, which actually, to be perfectly honest, I was about to ask you anyway, because you talked about stock markets. It piqued my interest. Um, I like to have a play with stocks and shares. My father uh, got me into that at a very young age. Colin, uh, uh, Phil's asking, what is Colin's best investment and worst? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, it's hard to tell, but one of the best investments... Uh, was in a company called Imperial Energy, which uh, there was a very charismatic lawyer in Leeds called um, Peter Levine, who had interests. He was a Russian speaker uh, and, and had interests in uh, um, oil in Russia. And he put these interests together into a company called Imperial Energy, which was on aim to start with and started literally with uh, a small a small base and ended up selling out many years later. It started at 25p and I can't remember how much he sold out for about £12 per share some years wow. later. But, um, but, you know, you always talk about your winners, not the, <laughs> not the losers. <laughs> I don't know what is my worst you... investment. I, I, I can't think. Yeah. <laughs> You're so good that there's not been any at all. Um, no, so, <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, I mean, you, you say yourself, you've been through uh, lots of ups and downs with different businesses over your career, and, and and all of that has given you huge amounts of experience. We're going to talk about your prolific networking. Uh, you're, you're very prolific at networking. You also um, uh, talk about, um, you know, what makes. Uh, what makes businesses work? You very much believe that uh, that it's all about people as well, um, and and I'm sure you must have a lot to a lot of insight on the financial side of things. Um, being a, a, I only recently found out that you're a non-exec director of the uh, British Business Bank. So, be, but before we get into all of that, I just want to understand a bit more about Colin and um, and, and 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 how you what what made you become an accountant. Well, I wasn't very good at doing maths, physics, chemistry at school and A-level, and I really didn't know what I was wanting to do. But as I say, one of my closest friends, uh, Melvin Winburn, had gone directly, as he did in those days, into doing accountancy. Uh, and he got me interested in the stock market, and I suppose indirectly through that, um, I thought I'd do this degree in accounting, uh, and that's how it really started. Um, but it wasn't the accountancy. It's a great training. It's great training for people, especially in those days. Um, and, you know, you were very hands-on with small companies, sort of doing the basics and learning about the companies. So it was really good training. But my, my interest, as I say, was more that I wanted to become the next Jim Slater. For those old enough, or who want to look in at Jim Slater, um, was a, a great investment banker. Um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, Slater Walker Securities and built a whole empire by 
finding sleep republic companies who we could approach uh, and say that I'm going to revamp you. I'm going to remarket what you're doing. Let me in and I'll show you how to raise the share price so everybody benefits. That was in a nutshell. It eventually became the unacceptable place of capitalism. Um, I think that was in Edward Heath's reign, but um, it, it was very interesting. And there were qu quite a few lookalikes that started similar businesses. And I, I one of them in Leeds, PR Grimshaw, Peter Grimshaw, um, I went to work for, and for three years, it was a great experience, um, you know, sort of researching smaller companies that we could invest in. What were the typical things he would do then if he was going into going into these sleepy companies and, and trying to increase the share price? What was, you know, what 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 were well, they doing wrong? What were the key things? Well, one was um, marketing, um, image building brand images. Uh, a lot was doing it by acquisition because the one good thing about a public company, you've got um, collateral, you've got shares that you can issue to purchase a company. And, um, you know, this is what happens. And so you could build uh, quite big conglomerates by starting with a small publicly quoted company, um, especially going back in that era, uh, and, and build substantial companies. Uh, Peter Grimshaw's was a, company, a sleepy company in Osset called Windsor and Firth. I remember, don't ask me what happened last week, but I can remember that, Windsor and Firth. He renamed it. Uh, Grimshaw Windsor and started to acquire it was in the sort of DIY area and acquired similar companies and built up quite a big group um, uh, of which his main investment bank had a holding he also used to manage portfolios of very wealthy individuals uh, and he put part of their shares uh, part of yeah part of their um, portfolios into the shares of the companies that he was investing in. So um, it, it was good while it lasted. So, so it's a it's a bit of uh, having the right names on on the board, having the the. Uh, yeah. But 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 a big part is actually ha looking big. So that brand you're to, you talked about that branding there. Um, actually, it's making sure that you know from the outside in, it looks like a serious big professional company was that is that what you're saying yeah absolutely i mean that was uh, one of the the ways uh, to get it noticed particularly in the stock market i mean let's be honest most people are not that interested most investors who dabble in the stock market not the professionals so much but um they're more interested in what's going to happen to the share price all the rest is to some degree peripheral they're not going to delve into it some do obviously um and uh, that's private investors and obviously the funds do that but at the end of the day it is how you can leverage the share price and part of this was image particularly in this area where he was you know uh, in that era he was really well known and um, he bought into a number of companies one was called Pennine Motors I can't remember what it was called before and he was a sleepy motor company and then then he got sort of um, distributorships for you know the most modern cars and it was sort of self-feeding uh, and, and it became in its own right a good company 
one of the one of the early businesses you were involved in uh, i think you were really thrown into it with with creditors chasing you and, and all sorts of things what were the experiences that you got out of that were you you were thrown in the deep end with that is that right yeah very much so that was when i was working for cope sports where it was a year after i left Grimshaws before we started on our own and it was the time of the oil crisis in uh, uh, where, where they were talking in the press about petrol rationing. In fact, they actually issued petrol coupons. They never, I think, put them into uh, into use. Um, and uh, Jeffrey Cope, sadly, who passed away um, last year, um, he was really entrepreneurial, uh, a real character, and I learned a lot from him. And he came across his company in Halifax, which was converting cars to run on LPG, liquefied petroleum gas, which was becoming all the rage then because of this, you know, media frenzy about saying there was going to be petrol rationing. Of course, people didn't realise so much that propane gas or LPG comes from cracking oil. You know, you burn it off, uh, and there was a longer-term uh, economic reason for getting involved in this. Um, in, in this industry because this was a use for the gas that previously they'd been burning off. However, this small company in Halifax had got a distributorship uh, for, from a Dutch company, a leading Dutch company, to, for the conversion equipment. And Jeffrey interviewed this guy with a view to buying uh, conversions for his reps cars. But he thought this was a great company to invest in. Uh, it's only a small company. And literally, literally sort of phoned me up in the office upstairs and said, come down, I've got this interesting thing. Tell me about it. And said, you're going to run it. I said, well, I, what do you mean I'm going to run it? I've never been outside an office, really. Because what do you learn? And literally the next day, I had to go to Halifax. It was a half-built site, a building there. And God, it was a, a, a real mess. But there were some characters. Uh, and we managed to... Uh, sort of saving literally there were creditors knocking at the door um, and we managed to save it and there was quite a lot of publicity at the time but then the oil crisis died down and um, that industry never went forward uh, but at the time um, Jeffrey had decided that he was going to cut back and get rid of all non-core activities including this business so I said, well, what's going to happen to me? And he said, well, you can come back into the company. I said, well, not really. Um, can I take it with me? Because I want to start on my own. So he said, well, you can take it with me. So with you. So uh, we then started the practice, myself, Melvin Winburn, and a guy called David Norfolk, only because we didn't really want to, well, we needed to earn a living as well. So uh, we had a few clients um, that we'd picked up. You couldn't advertise in those days. But I was virtually seconded to this company, which eventually we sold. Um, and uh, we started the practice. But the key thing at that point was that I was obsessed with, as I say, the investment banking scene, but didn't have any money. So I said, what we should do, because people can't even pay our modest fees, those companies we're going to advise um we should roll up our fees and take a small equity stake so they said uh, you can't do that shock horror you know how are we going to earn a living so they said well we'll just have to manage um and we didn't do it in every case but that's what we did 
And we were very fortunate that the first company was a case study of what can you can do from starting a business with 80 quid, I think it was, uh, in a back bedroom and building it up and selling it out 18 years on to a subsidiary of a, of a major merchant bank. It was a story on its own and sadly too long to tell here, but I, I, uh, I have fond memories of that. And that started this sort of scene going with other ones that, uh, that we were involved. But as I say, the key thing is the entrepreneurs who are running these companies and the relationship you create with them. And I've been very, very fortunate to work with some great people. One of them, Johnny Strait, who is a great entrepreneur, still is. And um, yeah, that's another story. He tells it much better than I do, but we were fortunate to work together from a startup really um, to floating on the AIM market and then eventually selling out. So, you know, there aren't too many, but they're enough to keep us going and, uh, you know, enjoying what was going on. I see you mentoring uh, lots of lots and lots of different people and businesses. Um, you talked about uh, how uh, you know what, I, what I'm wondering is, do you have this ethos of you need to actually do it to learn? Um, because th a lot of the stories you're describing there, um, you you were thrown in the deep end, and that's and that and and you just went for it, and you had this this mentality of just going for it. And and likewise, when you started uh, WGN, you had this brainwave of an idea. Uh, let's roll up the fees. So so is 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 part of your mantra and part of your ethos when you're uh, advising companies and advising businesses is actually just to sort of step outside the box and and actually try and do it, and and that's how you're going to learn these things. Is that is that fair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everything's relative. And in our early days, I mean, that first company we got involved in, uh, looking back, I didn't know that much, but I knew more. The guy was a scientist. Uh, we became very close friends afterwards, and it was a really great story. Uh, but, you know, on the finance side, which I was sort of part-time FD going around to his house in, in, the, in the back room writing up the books, and it's a good story. But um, as you go on, you, if you're keen, you learn as you go along from people, from situations you're in, um, and you can pass those on to the next people. I think you said Phil, Phil Fraser's on the call, but I mean, I know he's had similar experience. You know, you go through building up a business um, and you can pass that knowledge on and your experiences, and that's what I try and do. And the other thing is very, very important is leveraging your contacts. Um, you know, you make a lot of contacts with sort of that network. Well, we're going to we're going to talk and, about your your networking, and, and, and you can pass those on to people. You know, to, to mutual what, benefit. Talking of Phil, actually, he he's wondering what the most profitable roll up uh, contra free fees deal was. <laughs> Come on, Phil. Uh, <laughs> I might tell him privately. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, you, you know, we, we're fortunate. I mean, there's high risk, and you. And everybody will tell you this, business angels, if they're honest, uh, experienced business angels, will say one or two investments will pay for all the others that don't make it. And it's the same with venture capitalists. It's always the same. There's only a few that will make it. Uh, and those are the ones you read about. And those are the ones that save you bacon, you know, as you move forward. Um, but, you know, literally the time... Our, our time and 
expertise, if you like, is our currency. And we, over the years, have had to write off probably millions. But, you know, at the end of the day, some have been very successful uh, in relative terms. I've, I've got I've got a Facebook user wondering about your uh, talented uh, investments, um, and uh, they're saying, "Is it uh, better for individuals? Uh, would you believe it is better for individuals, property or pensions, to invest in properties or pensions?" Uh, I've never really been involved too much in property, uh, but I do believe in pensions. Although, again, that's changed. When we started off, uh, thank goodness. You know, from absolute scratch, I made sure in those days the tax advantages were greater. I made sure I put the maximum percentage into pensions. Um, and thank goodness I did because, you know, 45 years on, um, at least it's a decent pension fund. Because when you're self-employed, as I say, nobody owes you a living and you've got, you've got to do it all yourself. And all the, uh, you know, sort of um, salary-based pension schemes that you get in big companies or you know in the civil service or what have you that's fine but if you're an individual you have to do it but pensions is another subject um you, altogether yeah you talked about you talked about when you set up the uh accountancy firm you mm -hmm. weren't allowed to advertise just just help me understand a bit more about uh, that the restrictions yeah. <laughs> in the professions um up till i can't remember probably in the probably in the 70s, uh, up to then, it really, you could be struck off if you were overtly advertising. So you had to rely on recommendations in the main um, and I suppose networking. And then overnight, the Institute of Chartered Accountants changed it. And I always remember that week because in the Financial Times, all the big PwC, so the Price Waterhouse as they were then, and KPMG and all, and Deloitte, Massive adverts, whole page adverts in the in the uh, uh, FT, and then after a couple of weeks, they all faded away because ultimately that isn't the way you get clients for sure, and shouldn't be the way. But at least you weren't likely to be struck off by inadvertently or openly trying to um, you know advertise and get clients that way. So the professionals were very old fashioned in the way. The lawyers were the same. And then it all changed, and it has changed dramatically. Um, yeah. and, and has it gone? To, has it? I assume at the time it was a good thing, but you know, do you, do you wonder if it's all gone a bit too far now? Well, yeah, because um, some professional firms uh, take an interest in it. They're they're very very good at their marketing. Um, well, I wouldn't know how you know cost effective it is ultimately. Um, because it's a long-term play. But the best way to get clients is by recommendation, for sure. Mm. But then you've got to put yourself around and not try and be selling. You know, you've just got to make build relationships, really. Uh, and before we get on to building relationships, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, British Business Bank. I mean, first of all, how how did you even become a, a, a non-exec uh, director, um, you know, would are you? Uh, I believe you're only allowed to be one for three years. Are you disappointed uh, that you're not a non-exec right now with the whole Sybils uh, and, uh, and and all the other loans that they've uh, they've been throwing out? I, I guess it could have been a an exciting time. I'm not sure, <laughs> or well, a nerve-wracking time. It was. I must say, it was fantastic 
getting the opportunity, which came completely out of the blue from a, uh, uh, a well-known firm of uh, headhunters who I, I don't really deal with, but the guy was a really nice guy and I've come across him before. And out of the blue, he, he got in touch and said, look, there's something here. He knew I'd been a non-exec in some of the AIM companies where we'd taken you know, companies to AIM and I'd remained as non-exec. And he said, look, there's something here. It's called the British Business Bank. And it may be up your street because their aim, it's a government organization and their aim is to get funding into small companies. I said, absolutely. I said, I'm interested. I knew nothing about it. And um, uh, <coughs> nowadays you can sort of, obviously on the, on the internet, look at certain things. And one very interesting thing was one of the directors who was the government's representative effectively, because he was owned by Bayes or um, whatever the biz, uh, uh, the Department of uh, Business uh, um, at that time. Uh, yeah, and um, I looked at this picture of this guy and I thought, hmm, I've met him before. And then I remembered one of the companies I've been involved in had won the Queen's Award um, and the, then got a, a visit from one of the ministers and his civil servant was this guy that was, I called him a bag carrier. So when I went in for the interview, I had four interviews with four different people. I thought, I'm not going to mention anything for once in my life. And I didn't. And he looked at me and he says, haven't I seen you somewhere before? And then, you know, we, we got friendly. But no, I, I went down. There were four interviews, the chairman, the CEO, the, the senior non-exec, and uh, this government representative and because I wasn't desperate for the job uh, you know it was, it was, uh, I think I was relaxed and enjoyable and and I got offered it and I think mainly because first of all they have to have diversity and well, I was from the north and I was involved in very small companies which was the essence of where they were trying to get to whereas all the other board members who I subsequently found great people and I learned a lot and very very nice people i'm still friendly with them uh, they were really from either big companies or um, banks and what have you and this was the first board they had put together after starting the company which was an initiative from um, uh, um, i think in the lib dem uh, arena when there was the coalition on uh, so they um, we had the the initial board meeting and then the board meetings were entirely different, believe me, you know, you can imagine part of the government. It was very exciting um, and I met a, very, a lot of interesting people, um, including Matt Hancock when he was the junior minister, business minister. Um, but then uh, during that time, they decided to, it was Osborne who was the chancellor, and he decided that he coined this phrase the Northern Powerhouse and decided they would open a fund uh, called the Northern Powerhouse Investment Fund, which was really right up my street because it was in conjunction with the LEPs. I knew the people um, and we we set this up during that time um, and I uh, was quite sort of involved in that at a non-exec level and that was it. But unfortunately, you only do three years um, and uh, myself and some of my colleagues stepped down uh, at that time. We got the 
farewell party and gifts and but i'm still very friendly with some of the people um the ceo's just left keith morgan but the new one catherine lewis latour uh came to the to the bank when i was there so it's really good being still being involved well uh, how do you think uh you know with with this whole crisis and the uh the, the facilities that they've opened here the amount of money how, how, where do you think the challenges for for them going forwards are going to be well first of all i think fair dues to the chancellor and the government they the way they moved first to the civils but then they found well there they were um underwriting 80 percent of the banks were doing it and they were under, the government was underwriting 80 percent the banks were still nervous and they were making a bit of a meal of it and so they brought in the bounce back loan which has tipped it the other way it's fantastic insofar you can get it in if, if you qualify within a day a couple of days but sadly as always happens in these circumstances there's been some fraud by a small number of unscrupulous people um and right this minute hmrc haven't got the time or the government haven't got the time to to look into it but i'm sure there will be a day of reckoning uh, i think it has been very very important um and uh the british business bank have sort of overseen all this but there needs to be more done to help uh, particularly um the more early stage companies and those startups and they brought in um, the future fund but the bar that started you had to raise a quarter of a million and then they would match it which was ridiculous the need to have something that's a much lower level uh, we know there's risk but equally there's going to be a lot of people unemployed and we need to encourage people to start businesses in the right kind of way um, uh, there used to be uh, the enterprise allowance scheme some years ago where i think we paid 100 pound a week to people who were going into business a scheme like that you're always going to lose some and there's always going to be a bit of fraud and mismanagement but it's not great compared with the benefits you get um, and you know the more they can do the better really you um uh, i've seen firsthand how you mentor businesses and um you know i i like uh, your style i like uh, you've got a, a huge breadth of advice do you do you think it was the the non-exec role uh, at the business uh, was was that part of the recognition uh, in the step towards getting an obe uh, because i think it was it was uh, you know rightly so for cer certainly for the advice i've seen you give um how do you think that came about it was it was a surprise for you wasn't it yeah, I think most people will tell you it's a surprise when you open the envelope and you look at it. Well, it, it looks an official envelope, so you think it's going to be some, some, some thing you've done wrong or you know. By the way, I opened it and I looked at it and I looked again, uh, and I said to Vanessa, I said, "Just come in and have a look at this," and I couldn't believe it. And then, of course. You're not allowed to say anything. Only Victoria Beckham sort of said something along the way. But most people stick by the rules. Uh, and you're not supposed to say anything until it's announced. And so there's a two-month delay. And I didn't even tell my kids because, you know, it can soon get out. So only Vanessa knew. And then on New Year's Eve, or you know, I think it was New Year's Eve, it's amazing how quickly it gets out. And, you know, it was really nice. People were 
good friends and people I hadn't seen for ages were sending him messages. It was it was really really good, um, and so uh, you know it's a great honour. Um, I know people decry it and say, well, he shouldn't have got it, and this one should have got it, and all the rest of it. Of course, you'll never get it right completely, and uh, people put your name forward, then you go. I think it goes in front of a committee. You will never actually know who put your name forward. Uh, it goes in front of a committee, and then they decide what to give you. So, you know, it's MBE, OBE, and CBE, um, and I was fortunate to get an OBE, and it earns you a lot of brownie points with your wife, uh, long-suffering wife and family, going off win all these years of work. So the day at the palace was really good. Uh, we were fortunate; it was nice weather. It was cold, and uh, and, it, and it was a good day out. It, it, I mean, it's it, it's a hugely proud moment, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. Um, it, but just like a true accountant, uh, you were you were bothered about the cost of the photos. Is that right? Well, yeah, they are very expensive. <laughs> I, worked, I was working out how, how this firm must do, how many investitures there are, and there are hundreds of them, uh, so it must do, and you can only go to this firm. Uh, but they've got it worked out to a T, so when you come out, there's groups of them there. I mean, it's amazing, and it's got to be like that. And they know exactly what photographs to take. And, you know, I can't believe anybody doesn't get them, regardless of the cost. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is it. Uh, I'm going to talk... Yeah. I'm going to talk about uh, networking in a, in a, in a, a second. Just to remind you all, uh, we're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and uh, you could be listening to us on a podcast. I've got a couple of questions uh, that people have asked. Um, so uh, Adrian Wilson's just uh, just put that uh, photos are a great investment. Funny that he's a photographer. Um, we've got a couple of people on Facebook asking a question. Colin, if you were to be the judge on The Apprentice and the team from Dragon's Den were your contestants, who would you most likely employ? There's a question for you, isn't there? Well, I mean, the team, the... So, the, so, the, so which dragon, the, which the, dragon the, the would dragon, you employ? Which, yeah. Which dragon would I employ? Um, Who's your favourite dragon? Um, I, Is it Peter I or Deborah, that, or are we far off? Know, well, should I, say, I think, ultimately, it is Peter, because I think he... He sticks to the business side of it and is pretty hard-nosed, uh, generally, um, and I think on balance. But look, it's a reality TV programme. I've had uh, a couple of people, businesses I've been involved with, one in particular that, that went on, on. I would never recommend anybody to go on it. But on the other hand, if you're up for it and you've got that kind of personality and you're prepared to be ritually humiliated, um, it's great publicity. And um, I think Phil did a uh, a program about people who had been on on Dragon's Den, and they did get even when you get Richard E. Millis, you get a lot of publicity, and uh, you know it just depends what kind of personality you've got. Which which, which you know you totally be, uh, believe in in the whole PR side of things. We talked about that earlier. As a as a risk taker, I'm surprised that you wouldn't jump at the opportunity to go on to get berated on Dragon's Den. Yeah, no, no, it's not my not my style really. <laughs> uh, someone's just asking Colin. Colin, on meeting Matt, I'm assuming Matt Hancock. Uh, did you think he had something special to take him to the position he's in today? Absolutely not. It, it, it was. Um... <laughs> I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you exactly what happened. It was the opening of, a, of the British Business Bank's offices, and it was a, a very modest do. It was just a, in the office, 
few drinks and a few canapes and what have you, uh, and you know, a few people had come, including him. And uh, we were chatting, and I thought, God, if he's a minister, he's very young. Uh, this was about five, six years ago, and uh, you know, seems a nice enough guy, very young, and not didn't seem that sort of experienced in the in the field, but. He's certainly uh, experienced now, living more hating, you know, he's, he's come on a lot and he's had to learn the half, hard way, you know, he was really thrown into the middle of it. So uh, he looks a bit older now, <laughs> probably a lot older, yeah. It's interesting that he didn't stand out then, then. Um, the So networking, I would like to talk to you about networking because I agree with you. It's, uh, you know, there's lots of different marketing channels, but like you said yourself, one of the best ways is being uh, referred to. So um, what, what, when did you start networking? What made you start networking and, and why, you know, you're very heavily invested in it. What are your top tips on networking? Well, I suppose, first of all, I just enjoy, I enjoy a challenge and people are a challenge. I enjoy meeting people and um, not so much now because, uh, you know, I'm at the latter end of my career, but early on, uh, especially at times when you couldn't advertise, you had to put yourself across and hope that somebody would then say, oh yeah, um, I'd like to come and see you and, you know, talk about counselling and what have you. You couldn't actually... I mean, you could talk around the subject and what have you. Um, so that was early doors. And I just found it very enjoyable and, uh, and just great meeting people. And over the years, I've met some fantastic people. Sadly, you can't keep in touch with all of them all the time. But then they'll come out, of, you know, out of the woodwork or wherever. And it's always pleasant to catch up with people. But above all, and look, I'm no expert on it. Um, there is a guy who I, is fantastic and he's made a business out of it, a guy called Will Kintish. And if anybody, especially if a firm wants to engage him, I would say uh, he is absolutely great. A lot of it is common sense, um, but he puts it across very well and he runs courses and he's got a very nice way about him and he was an accountant or he's an accountant and what have you. But um it's all about building relationships. And the worst thing you can do is try and sell. And there are some cases where you go to a do and people are overtly selling, some a bit more covertly. Ultimately, you always want to build the relationships because you want some mutual business at the end of the day. Um, but you've got to be straight with people. But above all, just enjoy it and try and find ways that you can uh, have mutual interests or um just try and help people as well you know not everything is about charging a fee you can help people uh and then hopefully it'll come and you know pay pay back in due course are, are you a firm believer that people buy from people oh definitely yeah definitely um i, I think uh the smallest way i mean we've just my wife has just had three quotes from uh, somebody who needed to chop a tree down and um, um, you know she described the type of person and we went for the person who wasn't the cheapest but he, he just came across and was trying to be helpful and came up with suggestions you can be cynical about this and say well you know it's the way to get the business but you know it, it is about personalities 
and and how you gel with people. What? But I've also, uh, I've also dealt with people that I don't particularly get on with, but equally, you know, in business, you've got to sometimes do that. Are there, are there any things that you wouldn't do at a networking? So you talked about you wouldn't sell. Anything else? Any any tips that you'd, you'd avoid? Um, the other thing, which is the hardest thing, and everybody will say the same, is getting away from people. <laughs> you know, um, not some because you definitely want to get away from them, but others because you, the whole point is networking, getting around. So it's best to be up front, and some people are better being up front than others. And the other thing, which is less difficult, but... Um, is breaking into a group you find more and more people are doing this and now they also i think some younger people have been told by their firms you've got to go out and network and i particularly with young lawyers uh and uh, you know really young ones compared with me they've obviously been told to go out there and some really just haven't got the personality for it and then and not really enjoying themselves you can see this but uh, you know that's it. Of course, it's how, a whole new new area. Sorry. No, 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 no. How how do you break away from uh, from you know when when you when you find yourself in a conversation that you really don't think you 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 know you want to invest your time further in? <laughs> any any top tips on uh, what you'd say? The best is to be up front and say, look, you know, we're here to network, so you know, good to meet you. Or, yeah, I've got your card or something, or and then just move on. But sometimes. It's not so easy to do that, and uh, I like better things. <laughs> but the best way is laugh. I like it, and 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 how do you you know how do you choose? Uh, do you, do you give yourself a uh, a particular goal or a particular you know how do you make sure that you're efficient or productive when you're going to a networking? How do you pick networking groups? How do you uh, make sure that you're being efficient during those? Well, to be honest, I I've never measured it like that. I suppose you should really. Um, I think what I did, I do do wherever possible, and I did a lot when, and it's quite demanding, um, you do need some help, um, is I do write to them, uh, email them, should say, afterwards um, to, you know, say, genuinely good to meet you and tell them a little bit about what I do and leave it to them then. Um, and, uh, you know, that often leads to... A, a, separate meeting a one-to-one -one meeting or, or whatever and it doesn't happen overnight sometimes you know they'll come back with and then we've, uh, it's a long play colin's voice has gone a bit robotic there sorry, hopefully sorry. we've got him back have you got it back Hopefully we've got him back. Um, but yeah, I, I think I got the gist of that. Uh, and and uh, you're saying, um, you know, try and be as productive as, as you can be. Um, Colin, you're a, a keen runner as well. You run uh, every, how many times a week do you run? Well, since lockdown, I've been running probably at least five, probably six days sometimes. But I'm wow. coming to the end of my running career, which... Uh, uh, I'll say back to the obsession, it was a, a friend of mine, actually it was a small client, who uh, I think was equally obsessive, and uh, he was talking about, this was back in the 80s, I think, yeah, uh, running a marathon, and I was playing rugby at the time, um, so I thought, well, I'm reasonably fit, I'll, uh, I'll have a go at this, uh, and then I... I realised it's a whole different ball game. It was the Leeds Marathon, and that they changed the course a number of times, and it was a horrendous course, starting from Rounded Park, going into South Leeds, and then eventually up through Headingley, 
back along the ring road back to Roundy Clark, 26 miles. And I got as far as Headingley and, you know, I seized up. I struggled round in about, I don't know, five, four or five hours. And then I was determined um, that I would do it again and do better. So I did train and it, it create and people know this, creates endorphins. So it's, it's like being, you know, on drugs and you have to go and you do anything to go out running. And also it was much better when you have people to run with. So, you know, I could ring people up and go out and, and run people and that's it. Finally managed to do a marathon in 316, uh, which I was quite proud of. Uh, and, and you did a, you did an amazing time in the marathon as well, didn't you? Well, that was to say three, three hours, 16 in London, I think in 1986. So three hours, 16. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, it's um, I'm going to bring this to a close, uh, Colin, you've gone quite robotic, uh, but I think Sorry. we were pretty much at the end anyway. Uh, that's, that's what happens nowadays with uh, the reliance of online um uh broadband um but it's been absolutely delightful colin uh colin if we want if people listening or or watching wanted to speak to you what's the best where's the best place to find you well i can give you my mobile which i there is oh seven eight three one two five eight four nine four brilliant and i'll put that i'll put that in the show notes and colin your colin is on linkedin uh, and he definitely will be in uh, a networking room that you may visit uh, next time uh, john hammond asked a question how many canapes has colin consumed in his networking journey I know. <laughs> oh john he, uh, i always like john's company especially when i got on the wrong train in amsterdam yeah but, uh, because i was talking to him but there we are um no no uh <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's only um, a few canapes I can eat, but there we are. <laughs> Thank, thanks so much. It's been really, I mean, it's been, I've known you for, for many years, um, but I've never really got under the skin and got to know you like I have today. It's been fascinating. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you very uh, much for uh, inviting me, and I enjoyed it. I hope people have enjoyed it. Some good friends. Thanks for... Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions. Please make sure you subscribe uh, for more and we will see you next time. Take care. You've been listening to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. Thanks so much for joining me. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to my website, fleek.marketing or find me on LinkedIn. That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts tag me in your social media posts and please leave me a review on itunes it will make a huge difference for me i will see you soon